Hey guys, thanks for joining me today on the Great Deconstruction Podcast. I think you'll find this interview super interesting. Uh, Jamin here is a really interesting guy with an interesting story uh, that he's going to share today. So pay attention, listen to it. I think you'll get a lot from it. And go check out his websites, which are in the link in the description here. Uh, Also, while you're doing that, whatever podcasting platform you're listening on, hit the like or the five star button whatever you can do give us a little thumbs up or anything that you can to to help us get a few more listens Uh, right now it's hard for me to publish super often so it's uh it's important that the episodes that i do put out and put all this work into get heard by people so you know share it tell people about it and if you really want to be super awesome Subscribe to the Substack at thegreatdeconstruction.substack.com and you can follow what we're doing, what we're talking about. Uh, I write there and I publish the podcast there. Uh, So trying to build that audience as well. And uh, you can join the 56 other people currently uh, subscribed and, you know, be a a real friend. Be a friend of the show. That'd be cool. Anyway, uh, thanks guys for listening. I'm joined today by Jamin Collar, who is a, or was, a 39-year fundamentalist Christian youth pastor, music minister, and public speaker, seminary graduate, and 10-year classroom teacher at the Christian school portrayed in the movie 1517 to Paris, which I have not seen. Uh, son of Christian cult leader and author of almostocult.com and blogger at FindingGodDespiteReligion.com, all one word. Jamin, welcome to the show, and I hey. just kind of want to let you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your life and what's all that. What are all these websites about? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, the almost occult one is uh, just autobiographical, um, and because of my biography, I guess uh, there's a lot of religion in there, and so I tried to, um, as much as possible, keep that story. Um, non-religious or at least uh, readable for um, people who aren't interested in religion. But of course, there's a lot growing up as a pastor's kid. uh, There's a lot of religion in there in that story. And so wherever it kind of like branched off into um, just topics that were, I figured most people weren't interested in, I try to break those off and just have those be on a separate site. Um, And I put them on the site that I started, I somewhere in 2009, 2010, uh, finding God despite religion when I was starting to realize I needed a place to store the things that, um, were troubling about the environment that I was in, in the, the Christian religious environment that I was in. Um, because I knew throughout my, uh, journey throughout my life as a pastor's kid, like there's probably something to this God thing. Cause throughout history, we keep trying to reinvent this guy. And so there's probably like, he's probably playing some role here that's important, but uh, the way that humans get involved in that um, tends to to really mess it up um, in almost every case. So um, it was just kind of that search for who is this God guy? I'm pretty sure I can't find him in the environment I'm currently in, but I would like to believe that he, she, it, they um, are out there to be found. So that's kind of the uh, the premise of that of that block is a search for God, but um, being honest about the problems with formalized religion. 
I can understand that that need. Uh, I I call it like the God virus. I've never been able to not think about God. Um, hmm. I've never been able to turn that side of me off. And like you were yeah. talking about when you're when you write, you know how you try to write for different audiences. I don't know yeah. how to not put biblical allegory into writing. I don't know how to not quote Jesus all the time. It's just built into right. me. So I yeah. I completely understand that. That's it's very hard to try to speak to other worldviews. Um, mm -hmm. I've always struggled with that. And people are, you know, people who aren't like me are always kind of like, well, why are you so obsessed? Shut up about it. You know, yeah, get over right. it. But it's just yeah. not that simple. It's, you know, it's uh, depending on how you grow up, how you were raised, it can be everything to you. It can be your entire yeah. world. Well, it, explicitly, it's supposed to be everything. If you're doing right. it right, it is everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. All, all that matters. Yeah, I've always had a How lot of jealousy for those who don't didn't have that way of thinking, that they can just be casual Christians, but also a fear that those people were doomed for eternal damnation. So, Yeah, right. <laughs> There's always that. <laughs> so how long have you been... Uh, in your deconstruction? Oh, uh, I, I would say it started in like 2004, 2005. So some, okay. some time ago. Um, and then I yeah. recognized that I didn't believe in God probably 2006 ish. Hmm. So, and I'm still, I, I would say that I'm in a much healthier place with the concept of God today, but I'm still, yeah. you know, pretty solidly in that agnostic atheist but also somehow a Christian in a way because I, it does influence everything I do. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a long time. Yeah. So in, in my journey, like I just like got out of the church in 2020, um, unrelated to COVID. And then, um, it's really only been the last, like, man, six months that I've pieced together, uh, the I I don't even want to call it courage, but like the the forced acknowledgement that probably this is a load of crap. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um. So that's uh. It's interesting that, to hear you say that. You know, you've been out for whatever fifteen or so years, and you still find the references to to Jesus and religion, yeah, and Christianity. I, I don't think I can undo it. I, I, I've kind of mm -hmm. given up on that and I'm just, I'm fine with it now. I've just accepted that mm -hmm. that's just part of who I am and how I operate in the world. Yeah. So, um, what is the background of your religious upbringing? Where, tell me a little more about it. You got this whole timeline. I'm very interested to get in, uh, access to the site cause I feel like it's going to speak yeah. to me a lot. Um, and yeah. and why do you need to protect yourself in that way if you can share that kind of thing? You mean with the membership? Yeah, yeah. My kids. I got I got a lot of kids, and uh, they don't all know my story. And a lot oh. of the characters in my life are important characters in their life, and I want to make sure that um, the first time they are introduced to some of the um, less savory sides of their uh, favorite people's um, character is uh, in the context of you know, me and my wife and, um, that we were able to walk them through that first. So, uh, making sure that they can't, they don't have access to it. And then there's some, uh, legal issues too, um, threats and stuff from other people that are in the story. Um, yeah. so why don't we just not have the hassle of having to defend myself? Gotcha. And stuff. Yeah. That makes so, sense. I, I know that feeling but, too. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I got all sorts of death threats and stuff whenever I started writing about this, uh, and I'm in a wow. I'm in a very small community, so it was kind of, a, and I was also well known. I was preaching at like 15 and 16, so it was mm. it was like you know, whoa, this guy's dangerous. He's gonna influence our children. Uh, yeah, one of the one of the funniest memories I have is probably 2008. I had written a few things and published them in the local news. And it had turned uh, a few pastors uh, to it, it had made them decide that they need to address it at church. So I would just oh. get a flood of friend requests from these 14, 15 year old mm-hmm. kids uh, on right. Facebook. And they were all just trying to get my soul um, mm-hmm. because that their pastor had had told them, you know, this guy, he's dangerous, you know, stay away from him. He's yeah. he's going to change your mind and turn you into an atheist and there were probably 10 or so kids who reached out to me and when i realized you know they're way too young for me to even discuss anything with them i I was like you know don't come to me when you're older we'll talk i don't feel comfortable talking to to kids anyway like only two of those kids are still believers today so Mm -hmm. i find that very interesting that their pastors Mm -hmm. warn them against it and I didn't have to do anything. It it kind of happened on they they on their own accord deconstructed. Yeah. So if anything, maybe I gave them some ideas, but um, of their own right. accord, they were able to start piecing together the same things I did when I was yeah. you know twenty or twenty one. So yeah. I always found that very interesting, and so I am. I tell people I am just as dangerous as they say. Well, that that permission to think uh, yeah. is and to reach your own conclusions. I mean, that's legitimately dangerous to uh, controlling the narrative. It always has been in every uh, narrative controlling situation. So uh, I don't, I don't disagree with those pastors that if you start thinking, you might think differently. Yeah. Uh, That's, that's scary. Yeah. I I don't know. I I have not quite pinpointed where the point of Christian history that it became completely anathema to talk about doubt because in the Jewish mm-hmm. religion, that's a huge part of it, is you, you debate, you discuss, you argue, you wrestle with God. There's this whole yeah. narrative of doubt that is part of that religious belief system. And at mm-hmm. some point, probably in the three to four hundreds, that became completely uh, yeah. anathema, and now we cannot do it. it, it now we cannot wrestle with God. And so I think that's weakened God in such a big way. And I only recently could I even talk say that because, you know, I, I think that that's a beautiful tradition to argue and mm-hmm. to wrestle and to try to understand the world. Um, yeah. So I, I think that that's a sad thing to have been lost in the Christian religion, that this is yeah. something worth arguing over or at least discussing mm-hmm. and thinking about, et cetera, et cetera. What, uh, was this a denominational church you were raised in, or do you have a, a lengthy history with various churches? Uh, so the church that my dad was pastor in uh, was a part of um, a group that uh, formally is a denomination, but they kind of deny that term. They say they're a, a loose affiliation of uh, or fellowship of churches or something like that. That, I, as I understand it, generally means that uh, they don't. Um, uh, how do I put this nicely? Uh, they uh, don't feel responsible for what takes place inside the church, <laughs> but uh, they uh, they all get together um, to fellowship with each other. That might be the nicest way. Gotcha. I can it. Is this like one of those um, 
God, I can't think of the the big one that's out now, but Seacoast is a part of it. Some of these big mega churches are, are non-denominational and I think Mark Driscoll was involved in it. I think that was Yeah, okay. Uh, is was is it related to that? Um I, historically I I'm not entirely sure. It's it's closer to uh four square like okay. back of the Azusa uh, gotcha. movement stuff. It it broke off in like the early nineteen hundreds. Um okay from what I understand, but they're, um, yeah, they're, uh, definitely like, uh, heavily leaning towards Pentecostal. Um, but then they don't really mess with stuff that happens inside the church generally, unless it, uh, no, that's going to get mean too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a loose affiliation of churches. They call themselves a denomination. So we would have said that we were part of a, a denomination, but, uh, there in our situation, there wasn't really any accountability over us oversight or anything. Right. I mean, even in the places where that is the case, a lot of times that accountability is still absent. It doesn't actually yeah. happen. Um, so even, right. even if you you lack that, the the potential for harm is still great. Uh, well, yeah. So like I said, somewhere in, in 20, uh, 2010 or so, um, like I was, I was, well, let me back up earlier than that, actually. Um, so I, I had a pretty strong break between uh, the God that we were supposed to be searching for and uh, my parents, because they were, uh, as I think a lot of uh, dedicated good pastors are and are supposed to be, uh, you, know, you put God first and family second. Um, and in our case, you know, family was a, a distant second, a very distant second. So there's a, a pretty strong break in like, oh, like a, a realization for me of, this family thing is really just a vehicle to move the mission forward. Um, and so we were a family to the extent that uh, we could get something done for God. Uh, but the, you have the family of God, which is spiritually, and that's the only way that matters, uh, just as legitimate as your biological family, uh, more so, in fact, because those are the people you're going to be spending eternity with. Your biological family is just like this temporary little uh, missional unit that, right. you know, while you're here. And so if, if you uh, break away from uh, God, then your biological family, so the, the, so the biological family unit was just a way of getting things done for, for God, for the mission. Um, and so I, I understood pretty early on that like this, this family, this biological family thing is like, I, I have pastors uh, that I live with, but I don't really have parents per se. Um, and so that was that was really helpful, actually, because I think a lot of people who left that church, got kicked out of that church or, or broke away. Um, there's always that like uh, confusing part about like, well, that that person, that pastor represented God to me. And so now that I don't believe in that pastor anymore, what do I do with God? Because that pastor was God to me. And I've never really had that. So that was, uh, as we would have said, a blessing for me that I didn't have to do that separation. It was already done for me you know, in my teen years. Um, and I'd been just kind of living with my pastors for a long time. And so that's, I think where that, that we would now call it deconstruction, I guess, but that like, Hey, what, what about this God thing? Like, I know I can't find out about that God thing here because I can tell that what we're saying about him is really messed up. But, um, you know, what, if I'm honest with myself, what do I, what really makes sense or what do I really believe? And the phrase, if I'm honest with myself, um, I mean, that's, that's the work of deconstruction in my journey is like, there's, there's a lot of really 
scary stuff in there if you're honest with yourself. Um, and so like my, my analogy would be something like um, not believing in, in Santa Claus anymore. Like if you're honest with yourself, a magical man that visits all the, all the homes in one night, like if you're honest with yourself, that, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And when I started doing that with Christianity, just like just stuff fell apart. And the, I guess now we call that deconstruction, but I think my experience and a lot of people's experience isn't like I'm deconstructing. Like I don't want to believe in Christianity anymore. So I'm going to start tearing this thing apart, which I think is part of the objection to deconstruction yeah. from the fundamentalists and the evangelicals is like, Hey, stop dismantling this thing. This thing is valuable. Don't take it apart. And I, a lot of us are sitting here going, I'm not trying to take anything apart. It's just, it's falling apart on its own. I'm trying to, to put it back together. But these no. pieces keep falling off. Um, and so I, I think that's, um, a lot of hopefully the tone that comes across in my writing is like, I would love to get back to this. Like I want Christianity to be real. I want to believe in Santa Claus. Like that would be awesome. We got Christmas. I love Christmas. I love pretending like I believe in Santa Claus, but, um, I just, I can't get myself there if I'm honest with myself. Yeah. And so that's where I kind of am with Christianity. Like if anyone could point me back, like I'd love to get saved. Like, Send me any Christian that can convince me, but I got to be honest with myself. And if I'm honest with myself and that's where the deconstruction writing begins is like, here, here are the parts that are falling off. Can anyone else, uh, anyone help me put this back together? And so far I've gotten the um, traditional Christian answers of, you know, you can't think your way to God and you just have to have faith and we'll pray for you. And, you know, sorry for your soul. And, like none of it actually addressing the, the, any of the issues, but right. just kind of pitying me into, I don't know what. Yeah, that pitying you into a, a type of, in my case, a type of self-hatred and self-doubt. Um, mm. Because, you know, part of me believed that I was throwing the baby out with the bathwater on purpose, mm -hmm. you know, with intent. Mm -hmm. But my my sincere prayer when I started deconstruction was God please show me you i i felt yeah. crowded out by you know uh, the religious authorities that i was familiar with i felt like you know at some point some fundamental point they were all about money there was always some mm -hmm. financial portion to it and i have always I, i'm a avowed communist always have been i read the uh, the communist manifesto when i was 13 or 14 and it just it resonated with me, and it resonated with what I understood about Jesus. Yeah, it sounds so like it. It it hit me as this is how we should live our lives, you know. So and right. and even today, it is still a huge part of my life. I still consider myself a communist, and in such a way, I also consider myself a Christian communist because I yeah. I think that the fundamentals of what Jesus was teaching was hold all things in common. Mm -hmm. Very simple, from each yeah. according to his ability to each according to his need really simple shit right. in my book but it's also if i if i look back at the life of jesus i see that kind of message will get you killed by the state because it mm -hmm. limits their power it hurts their power so mm -hmm. that it just makes sense to me and that was coming from you know a 13 14 year old mind understanding jesus at just a base level reading the gospels right. It was all the other shit that had been piled onto it. So heaven and hell and 
the rapture and just all these different little doctrines and that you must believe the you know x y and z all of that's what really started to come apart but it was in the seeking trying to understand what is true trying to find god it's mm-hmm. where i lost him and it was my sincere prayer that that would not happen i was scared to death it took me two years to say the words out loud that i don't believe anymore you know it was terrifying for me right um right. you said you started writing about in 2010 and you mm-hmm. didn't leave the church until 2020 tell me <laughs> tell me more about yeah. that you smiled so <laughs> well uh i mean the church i was a part of was uh it was uh, unfortunately not an uncommon uh, experience. Uh, it wasn't that weird of a church, but it was extreme. I mean, there, I, I can point to a lot of other churches that are very much like it, but uh, there's a lot of the, um, man, what's the list? Um, <laughs> controlling uh, what uh, people are allowed to think, say, um, who they're allowed to uh, go out with, marry, uh a lot of just enmeshment of every kind, financial, emotional, um, familial. Uh, so there was, there was a lot that we were enmeshed with and that we, we weren't able to get out of. And also, um, that was about the time we started having kids. And, um, if I was going to get out of there with my wife and my kids, um, I needed to have my wife on board and she's, um, I would say eternally optimistic at least. Um, and so she, she kept hoping things, things will, you know, maybe, maybe there's a way to make this relationship work. And I, um, I saw it differently, but I was, I was willing to wait. Um, so it took her a while to come around to like, yeah, we, we probably, we probably shouldn't be here if we, we want to raise kids. Um, and so then we started like moving towards removing the enmeshments. We both, you know, worked, multiple jobs um at the church and school that were, were there and um so and there's all kinds of financial entanglements and stuff so we kind of had to like piece those out and like prepare ourselves so that we were um as ready as possible i guess or at least what we thought was as ready as possible to actually let them know hey we're ready to to be shunned by you forever now um, and all of our friends and everything. So there's some community building that my wife did ahead of time of like, you know, getting other, other groups, which was, I mean, we wouldn't call it a sin, but it was definitely not allowed. Um, so she was, you know, creating her other groups and stuff. And kind of, we decided that's the group that we're going to move into once, once we move out of this group. So we kind of had to prepare ourselves because we had watched, you know, hundreds at least uh of people who like left the church or school and then get cut off and then and then someone else leaves and they get they get cut off so there was there wasn't any question about uh what would happen it was just a matter of how and so um when we started get, getting really serious about leaving we decided all right we we need to be prepared for getting cut off like everybody else has so yeah the there was it was kind of a long journey to prepare for that and okay, then that finally going through it and and that whole time like I, I was very open to um holding on to that same religion because again i i didn't know that it was wrong i just knew there's some stuff around here which seems pretty messed up um and then i started doing my autobiographical writing and stuff kind of as a as a recovery uh mental health project uh personally and then um, once i finished with that then i kind of had this feeling of like there's this other 
theological thing that you haven't really done yet. Because when I got out, the my first question was like it was it was it was absolutely horrendous the leaving um, emotionally um, in every way that's not spiritual. <laughs> it was it was it was a nightmare. It was hell. Um, and so then I when we got out, I was kind of like, all right, what what really happened here? I'd never made a list before of. I'd had a sense of like, this kind, this place is kind of messed up, but it would always get dismissed by whatever church leaders I talked to about it. And so finally I was like, you know, I've always felt like this place was kind of messed up, but I've never really made a list. So I started making a list on paper <laughs> foolishly and uh, it would, it grew to hundreds of points. Like I know for sure, like I might be wrong about everything. This might be the perfect God's church. This is the most beautiful place there is, but I know this thing is messed up. And that list of like, I know this thing is messed up just got really, really long. And so it ended up being like, okay, so if I'm honest with myself, these are the things that I know about the world that I grew up in. And so when I finished writing that, I kind of had this sense of like, you haven't really done that theologically yet. Like if, if I'm honest with myself, here's, here's what I think about God and here's what really makes sense. And here's, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's just fallen apart since then. Um, in the most beautiful way, honestly, that you couldn't, I mean, that you couldn't say that sentence to a Christian, unfortunately, but um, you end up finding out that a lot of the things you were told to believe and then taught to not believe, like God is everywhere. Like that's, that's what we say. But if you go out to the lake with your family on Sunday morning, instead of going to church, like, well, the God's not there. God's in church. Right. So so the, the things we say about God are the opposite of what we actually act out. And the truth is you go out to the lake there's a lot of yeah. God to see there. And if you're with your family, dang, there's a, there's a lot of family. There's a, there's a lot of God to be experiencing your family. Um, and so like all the places where I wasn't supposed to find God, I'm finding him. Uh, my, my hummingbird feeder, the sunrise and sunsets, like the, just so many places that like, oh, this is God. Yeah, well, this actually is kind of beautiful. The whole like having daily devotions thing or having to confess it to my mentor, that didn't really feel like God, but this kind of feels like God yeah. now that I'm not not in church. So um I again the the title Finding God Despite Religion, like it it kinda has fit more and more as I've gotten farther and farther from my religion of origin. So I went through a phase of being the angry atheist. A, a mm-hmm. way too long of a phase did you have that as well i i've purposely tried to stay away from that because in a lot of the uh deconstructionist uh um circles that i've i've seen um a lot of the like well i know that god does, doesn't exist terminates in something like well my pastor was mean to me or mm-hmm. you know i was i was raped in the church or they're always about uh finances or like things that could be dismissed with like, oh, but that was because you were in a bad church. Yeah. Like a good church is like this. And so I've tried to keep my writing and also like my my own mental process. Like, okay, maybe that maybe that is just a messed up church. Like that doesn't necessarily prove that Christianity isn't real. Right. So let's just assume that every situation that's bad is human's fault and just deal with the actual theological like it's not a bad pastor. Like, what about the thought behind the pastor? Yeah. Is this is this theology bad? So, um, per, perhaps I've had something like that, but I've tried to stay away from that as part of my deconstruction because I think it's a legitimate response that the Christians have that, well, maybe that was just a bad person. Like, if all of them are bad, it's probably <laughs> yeah, not. There's a but pattern here. Maybe it was. Yeah. Um, but I'm interested to, to hear about that because I've I've 
purposely tried to, to avoid that. What, what did that feel like for you? Uh, well, I, I would say that I am a, what you might call a reformed or trying to be reformed right fighter. Um, I, I always take the most, if I believe something, I will take the most extreme position within that belief system and I mm-hmm. will fight for it. And I think that's part mm-hmm. of how I grow. It's because so many times after years of fighting for one thing, I might fall on my face and realize that something is fundamentally wrong with my thinking. It's just how I have to be humiliated in order to learn anything, I guess. Hmm. And I, I, there was a lot of anger. I, my emotional state whenever I left the faith was not great. It was uh, a rough time, you know, um, just trying not to kill myself was like the biggest struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that led me at, I wasn't really angry at any people. There were some bad influences in my life, but my faith had been pretty much entirely self-imposed. You know, I, I had some exposure to church. I, I was pretty adamant about going to church, but I had really developed my own set of beliefs at a very young age. So it wasn't that I was angry at other people for telling me things that weren't true that existed but there was this it was more of a a deep pity that this thing that i want to be true is not i want it to Mm -hmm. be true and it's not and i'm angry for everyone who's ever lied to you everyone who's ever lied to the guy who lied to him you know going back to that history where so much has been taken away from this faith that i still struggle to try to understand and, and want to believe uh i think it just turned into well this is all nonsense and i should tell the whole world i need to i need to prophesy and and make people yeah. understand you know preach to people uh there yeah. was also an internal goal uh, i was pretty effective i was pretty effective at getting people knowing when they were at a low point and understanding how i could bring them into the fold how can I convert you? I was good at it. Right. And there was this internal dialogue with myself all the time. was like, well, I can undo all of that. I can at least deconvert as many as I converted. That was a big part oh. of like my thinking. And coming, I mean, going back, it sounds insane and a little toxic. Because one, I don't think I should have that much influence on anybody's belief system. You know, right. you work it out. You figure it out. Yeah. Um, so that... I guess that would be like the a summation of my mindset at the time. And I, I was reading Dawkins and I was reading uh, Richard Carrier and just all of the, the big atheist names that were around in like 2006 to 2012 or so. Right. And um, eventually I just started to see everything that they say is said in such a bad spirit. They just mm-hmm. have this shit attitude. Richard Dawkins, horrible attitude. And has no religious experience himself. So he's talking about things right. he doesn't understand. And I just hated the way he talked down to people. I hated the way they debated. Um, yeah. I hated the way I sounded whenever I was debating because I was becoming this yeah. sarcastic asshole. And that wasn't yeah. appealing to anybody. Except for right. me, it made me feel good. Right. So, you know, I, I am a, a, a constantly evolving person. And I hope that never stops. I certainly... In the last two years since COVID, I have really found a much more peaceful way to discuss God without mm-hmm. the hurt. I don't know what changed really, 
but it is not nearly as painful. One thing I think that helps is we didn't, when I started this, there was no word for deconstruction. You know, deconstruction yeah. was a different phil- philosophy for, you know, a, a totally different idea. Um, but when I, I started seeing deconstruction become such a trend in the last three to five years, I, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm not alone here. And right. that feels good. Yeah. So, and I, yeah, for sure. that introduced me to a lot of more liberal ideas within Christianity um, because I was hyper conservative. Um, of course, they would probably say I was hyper liberal at the time. Right. But, you know, yeah. yeah. It's not an interview with me, though. Yeah, sorry. That's... <laughs> sorry. I, I will take oh, up your time. You got your story. It, I, I find, yeah, the, the whole like wanting to be a part of the winning team thing is like, I, that's just unavoidable. And, and the church has it, you know, with God. And that's got its own. Um, perhaps uh, exponent to the the hurt factor of you know uh, when you're on when you're on a team and you're fighting against someone else if it's you know Democrat or, or Republican or whatever like um, at least like you're definitely humans fighting each other yeah but in the church when like you've got a person who speaks on behalf of God like that's yeah. uh, that that's 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 hurtful uh, when you end up disagreeing with them so yeah that I. I can relate to the wanting to be on the right team thing, but part of my, my, uh, I guess what we're calling deconstruction is also like this repeated frustration of like going out for my team, like, like David to Goliath and then finding out that my team didn't really back me up. And so, you know, I would go out there on like young earth or something like that. And I'm like, Oh, well, this is definitely how it is. And then I'd go back to my team and they'd be like, yeah, we don't really believe that even though we said it like, Oh, you guys let me down. Uh, and I, that happened over and over where I would go out and be like, no, this is what we believe and we know that it's right. And then I'd find some great Christian leader who's like, yeah, we're not really sure that that's right. I was like, ah, oh, I can't, I can't. So part of my deconstruction was just like early on before I even knew that I was doubting anything was just like, oh, I, I can't say anything because we don't really know what we believe. So I, I'm probably safest. I'm going to, I'm going to look like a fool the least if I just am less certain about stuff. Um, And as it turns out, that's been a very helpful stance that I've continued to take. It's just like, oh, well, maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe Santa is real. There's a chance. I can't prove he's not real. Yeah. (laughs) So there's a chance. Certainty has been the thing that over time I have let go of the most. I was absolutely certain that I knew God had a relationship Mm -hmm. with God and he was directing my path. So if I, I I believe that no question, no doubt whatsoever. And slowly, you know, I have let go of more and more certainty. And that is the most freeing thing you can do through deconstruction Mm -hmm. is to let go of the things you think, you know, um, and see what comes next. It gets a lot Mm -hmm. easier. Um, And that's, that is the hang up that, you know, I've, I've probably talked to a few hundred people now through this process. And mm-hmm. that is the thing that sucks the most. There are some people who have never been super certain. It seems to be easy mm-hmm. as pie for them. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, anybody that has that same fundamentalist concept, it is a struggle. It's a real struggle to to just say, I don't know, when you used yeah. to know everything. Or at least you knew well, the guy is- who did. 
Right, right. Well, and that, that that is the claim of the church. Like we know, uh, yeah. and we say again, the the words don't match up with the actions. We say God's too big to be known, and He doesn't fit inside your box and stuff. But uh, we literally build boxes to put Him in. So yeah. uh, you, you show up to them on on Sunday morning. So um, yeah, the do you think that's a, a personality thing or uh, like a structure thing that like some people don't have the certainty gene or something? I don't know. I. I've never been able to figure that out. I've just always been really jealous of those types. So uh, yeah. I I think it, for me, it seems like a personality thing. It's so embedded in what I want it mm-hmm. is to know with certainty right. what is or is not true. Um, it is, or at least it always has been a big driver for me, not so much these days. Because mm-hmm. I am so much more comfortable in uncertainty now. But it's something you yeah. think for someone like me, you have to practice it. You have to mm-hmm. practice not knowing. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think before uh, I would have, like when I encountered someone who was like, I don't think that thing can be known about God. I'd be like, well, it can be. And if you would just try harder, you could know it. Like, yeah. you lazy. Yeah. Why don't whatever. you know things like I know things? Right. Yeah. yeah. Like this is knowable and you not caring about God enough to figure this out uh, is obviously a character flaw. Uh, for you just wanting to be out there and just do whatever sin you want to do. So you're hoping to not know about God, yeah. uh, but you could know about him. Um, and now it's, it's so much more, um, there's such better communion with God when I don't have to have to know. Yeah. Just... Yeah. I, I find that too. And I, even now I struggle with like that phrasing like communion with God, but I, I do yeah. feel that. I do still feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know how. It, I think it goes back to the fact that I am I had this persona of Mr. Atheist, you know, the, the raging, right. angry guy who's mm-hmm. now having to walk all that back. So a lot of, mm-hmm. I think a lot of my discomfort with it is uh, how embarrassing, you know, <laughs> because, yeah, you know, if, right. if a Christian that used to want to convert me were to look at me now and they'd be like, oh, you're probably Christian enough. You know, as long as you believe a little bit, okay. that's, that's proof that I'm right and you're wrong. So, yeah. Uh, right. So there's a, there's a little bit of that, but my, I have over the years learned to allow my ego to subside and to just let things be. And I do now appreciate the world outside and appreciate people mm-hmm. as if, they are created in the image of God. Even if there is no God, that is a, a big change in how you view people. Yeah, mm-hmm. When you stop seeing people as sinners or people who are self-righteous or whatever, I just see people as as made in the image of God as I am. And so mm-hmm. that puts us on an equal footing. We have to treat each other as if uh, one, one and the other are, are divine in some way. Because in yeah, some way we certainly I, are. That that is absolutely yeah. That, that's that's the golden rule and all the all the golden rules that preceded Jesus saying <laughs> yeah. the golden rule. <laughs> but yeah. like that's the and, and I I don't think it stops necessarily at humans. I mean, hopefully that that humane treatment of people for the value that they of their existence uh, perpetuates to pets and plants and. Our, I mean, the stewardship of our, our world. We got a, a really, really rare chance. Uh, is a the, maybe the the greatest understatement of of the century. Uh, that to be here 
with each other right. and yeah I, to to look at another person and devalue them because they're not on hoof this this phrase not on the same path as right. a christian person <laughs> yeah uh, like man what what a loss of of love what a loss of opportunity um it's really sad that in in the name of love we're missing out on some of the greatest love there is to share right yeah and and you said it right in the name of love that's the mm-hmm. saddest part about it um you mentioned that you were kind of preparing over you know mm-hmm. the course of about 10 years to yeah. to be shunned and was that mm-hmm. the ultimate result that you were shunned and mm-hmm. yep yeah. yep absolutely uh yeah i was i was ready actually in like late 90s like end high school i was i was ready how are you to, hold on how old are you old i i think i'm turning 42 this year okay i'm 37 but you look younger than me in my book okay. so oh well thanks yeah uh, you do to me anyway <laughs> maybe it's so take it for now. yeah um yeah so yeah late 90s um i was i was ready to be done uh but uh there's a cute girl as there always is Damn. yeah stories <laughs> classic and she, she was sure it would it could work out and i stuck around for her uh and uh, we're still together it's it's great but um yeah so the the preparing actually started probably about 3 years before we left like we we knew we were we were out and um just from watching everyone who left um at like almost without exception every one of them being talked about behind their back and you know falling away from god and and i don't even mean this as a specific insult to the institution that i was a part of i think that's just like if you are in an organization you can even find this in workplaces an organization that believes that they are the only ones doing it right then everyone who leaves like it it's a bummer for them like and I've been in workplaces like that where like someone leaves the company like, oh, they're going over to the competitors and, you know, they're, you know, about the competitors, they're X, Y, and Z and like all, all the negative stuff. about. Like, so it was, um, I don't mean this is a, a specific insult to our church, but everyone who left was talked about about, yeah. um, and you know, they're falling away from God and so, oh, someday they'd be back and we, we love them and we wish, wish them the best, but you know, they're making choices that we can't save them from and <laughs> like all, all that stuff. Um, so like we knew it, at least that was our fate. I knew for sure. My wife again held out, uh, hope for longer than hope wanted to lo- hold out. But, um, yeah, so, uh, that was, that was kind of the, the, our accepted path. And then, yeah, when, when we left, I um, mean, it was, it was super messy. There's at least a million words, uh, worth of, uh, um, story in there, but essentially, yeah, we, um, when we left the, we, we don't have any of the friends. I don't, I don't think anyone from that church and school, that might not be true. Almost every, yeah, everyone who was a part of the, the, uh, organization when we left, uh, we don't have contact with them anymore. Um, I haven't had contact with my parents or brother since uh, April of 2020, wow. um, unfortunately. So um, yeah, so it it all it all went. It uh, the end. We ended up in the same place we knew we were going to end up in. Yeah. Um, the path on how we were going to get there, we didn't know because you know everyone's got different. Um, they everyone's got their own like villain story once they leave, you know, Oh, well, so-and-so, you know, they, they struggled with alcohol anyway, or, you know, Oh, so-and-so they were, you know, heavy into pornography or we, like whatever the, the sin is, but like, yeah, we, we've known about this person. We've known this person wasn't a really good person for a long time. Um, and so you never know what your story is going to be because a lot right. of it's made up anyway. Um, 
And uh, that we, we've all got anyone who's been in a mesh system like that. I mean, I think Scientology uh, probably like displays this best, but they all keep records on you of all of your past sins, you know? And so like they, they, they can, they can put together a narrative that seems pretty plausible from, you know, at least 50% truth. So yeah. um, yeah, that's, that's part of the struggle of, of leaving that kind of an organization. It's just like, well, so all the, all the stuff that, I said in confidence yeah. for the sake of purifying my soul is now going to be used against me. Yeah, those things become essentially assassin's bullets to assassinate your character. Every mm-hmm. every little thing you've ever told someone in confidence. And that's yeah. evil. <laughs> that is yeah. the definition of something evil to do. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, yeah. I remember whenever I first left the faith and was, you know, people were reading what I was writing. Uh, people would just show up at my house. It's small, like I said, a small town. Mm. So everybody knows everybody. Um, yeah. And the pastor that had performed my wedding just showed up one night and I was full on, you know, in atheist mode. So I sat there mm-hmm. and debated him for two hours on my couch. And uh, yeah. I've had other people come over. One One guy came up with the idea somehow that we were, uh, my wife and I had become satanic swingers, and I was just like, "What? Where did this come from?" But there was there was this. I've always had an interest in you know occult, but it didn't mean mm-hmm. that I had become that. Sure. Uh, but sure. so little things that were true became mm-hmm. big things that were not true. So I yeah. I remember those sorts of things. Uh, I think it's I think it's good that you were prepared for what was inevitably going to happen. A lot of people think that because you know of who they are because every churches tend to make people feel special at least on mm-hmm. the short term are yeah. not prepared for the shunning when it does happen mm-hmm. and i think yeah. it's i think it's wise to be prepared for that if you think that you're about to to question the the tenets of your faith and and do whatever your your heart does lead you to do in the end there unfortunately yeah, th- yeah i think that's true I, I and there again like um uh, my my circumstances were in a lot of ways uniquely um extreme but it was also like uniquely insightful too in that there were a lot of people who left the church and like you're in the church you're you're in the place of searching for truth right. so you feel like as long as i'm honest this yeah. is all going to go well yeah. <laughs> for good reason that's that's what you've been led to believe so a lot of people go into really naively like oh well i'm just going to be honest about how i believe like wh- that's a terrible <laughs> terrible idea yeah. without some some uh forethought you need to be careful about who you talk to uh because that person is likely not like i don't know depends on the on the church again i want to be fair to all the all the great churches out there and stuff. But uh, <laughs> how many yeah, of those like have you found i'm just curious <laughs> i've been trying <laughs> I have been yes. trying really hard to try to be as kind as I can to the church. Mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. I do find little pockets here and there. I find some wonderful mm-hmm. people, but almost always there's just something fundamentally fucked up. Yeah. So, I'll, I'm hoping that's always. an American thing. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I've not been in this for a long time. I'm really holding out hope. Like, again, this is my Santa. Like I, yeah. I want this, I want this team to win. I'm hoping that yeah. somebody wins me over and I get resaved <laughs> and I regret this whole interview. That'd be great. Yeah. It just like every, everywhere that I ask for that to happen, the situation just gets worse. Right. <laughs> I just get more and more convinced like, oh yeah, 
actually the world makes a lot more sense when I'm not trying to force this thing on it that doesn't, that doesn't really fit. Yeah. Like the, the world makes, makes some sense. Um, so yeah, it's, that's unfortunate, but yeah, it, it, in preparing to leave, um, I did have that, that insight of like, Oh, like just cause I'm the son of the pastor, that doesn't make me special. Like the family of God, still the family of God, and I'm still only biology. Yeah. So, um, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing special here. So I didn't have that, um, expectation going into it. I did, uh, wildly overestimate how, um, uh, introverted and independent I was. I, I thought like I, I could get by with no friends. I, I could get by with no one liking me, mm-hmm. um, which might be true. I didn't understand the impact of everyone not liking me. Right. Like, it's not just a matter of like, I don't need any friends. Like, oh, but it's okay if the whole world hates your guts and says you should die. That's an entirely different feeling. So um, that, that was, that was, that rocked my world. Uh, pretty hard. Um, I can tell so. you from a great deal of experience that I I own and operate a small business, and uh, once again, small town. It can fuck up your finances. To to yeah. be honest and in a public way, uh, it yeah. is. It's been a rough go to mm-hmm. be the ire of so many people, and not just about yeah. the faith. You know about other things too, but to be the ire of so many people and to be the type that's outspoken and, and willing to argue, willing to fight, willing to march, whatever. Um, it, it can hurt you. I, I Mm -hmm. can point out hundreds of thousands of dollars I've lost over the years because of that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I think that's part of what separates me from the church because typically in a church, and I, I've seen this in my own community, a pastor will not do anything to upset too many people because mm-hmm. they have a yeah. financial incentive to keep them happy right. and paying tithes. Mm-hmm. Me, I don't. I, You're not yeah. paying for my life uh, unless mm-hmm. you're using my services. So right. it, it doesn't behoove me to lie to you about what I think and what I feel, but it does right. many pastors. And I, you know, I've had a lot of one-on-one conversations with dozens of pastors in the area and outside of the area. And I find one of the common threads is a lot of them think just like I do. A lot of them Mm -hmm. really would love to say the things that I say, but they're just Mm -hmm. not willing to. They're never going to be willing to because their financial situation is tied up in it. So you can't be honest. Yeah. And and their, their emotional lives are tied up in it too. Like, I, I, I don't think, um, as many of them are being dishonest, uh, any more dishonest with their congregants than they're being dishonest with themselves. Right. Uh, but it's That's just, true. it's a, it's a scary thing. Again, like back to that original phrase of like, if I'm really honest with myself, like that's, that's, that's going to wreck your life. That, that, that not, maybe not wreck, but it's going to wreck everything that currently makes up your life. It's going to change your life uh, fundamentally. Yeah. Um, and a lot of us just, just can't afford to do that. So right. you financially and, otherwise yeah you mentioned i've never heard it put this way so it i i've been dwelling on it here while we've been talking you said earlier that your parents were more like living with your pastors i think i've Mm. never heard that before but i'm not a pk so Mm. i'm curious have you talked to any other people that have kind of talked about the same thing because that's the first time i've heard that and it it really has my brain churning about pks 
Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a a trope about uh, us. Yeah, that you know, that a certain percentage of us are like the the worst sinners, and and we are rebellious and stuff. Yeah, um, that's always been true. And in the last scene, <laughs> fair enough. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, and I think because because I'm so um, <laughs> because I'm so rebellious, like I want to rebel against that too. Like I don't want to be that guy. Um, I, so again, like for one more reason on a whole mountain of them, I don't want to deconstruct because that's like the PK thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. I, I really wish I believed differently for so many reasons. Um, but yes, the, with the, with my parents, um, it wasn't like, honestly, it was, it was a struggle early in my childhood. I'd say consciously from about age nine to about age 13 or 14, um, but because I couldn't figure out like, wh- why aren't we like doing things as a family? Like, why don't, why don't we, we, we say we love each other and we're kind to each other, but everything, literally everything in our day from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to sleep, it's all about furthering this building that doesn't really meet, reach that many people for Christ. Like it was, it, this mission was important but we weren't actually getting anything done. And I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like there's 150 people in this church. If, and there's like 10 churches within a half mile of our church. So if our church just went away, then nobody would care. They would all just go to different churches. So like, but this thing is like infinitely important that we're like just constantly there. I just couldn't figure it out. Like, why aren't we, why doesn't it matter that, that I'm, I'm their kid, that they're my parents, that like the, that we're a family like why why and it was always just like well we're in a really busy season we're, we're about to get out of this busy season and it was just like overlapping seasons and i would say this out loud like this this is not ever going to end and it it in my 39 years there it never did we never weren't in an emergency state there was never a time of peace um which i think is like that's part of having a good mission if, if your mission ends then uh, something's wrong so I, I think in all those types of environments it's not just uh, pastor's kids that deal with that but it's like all, all those environments you, you need something to be fighting all the time yeah. and so but somewhere around like 14 or 15 um so i've got this story um and again trying to stay open to like maybe i'm wrong about stuff maybe i just totally made this story up in my head uh but i didn't <laughs> um the story is that like i was uh, working at, at the church, of course. Um, and it was after church and I, like, I needed something for my dad. And so, um, he's down in front talking to the congregants, of course, they're all like lined up to ask him questions or whatever about the sermon or talk to talk about other stuff. He's the pastor. And I'm like trying to do stuff in the background to like set up the stage for worship practice or something like that after church. Um, and so I'm like calling out like, dad, dad. And like, this is the guy that I've had some like frustration of like, I can't connect with this guy. Like he's my dad, but I, I can't ever connect with him and um, calling out and like repeatedly louder and louder until like the whole entire building of post church congregants are like looking at me as I'm calling out to my dad. And it's like kind of awkward. And so as a joke, I'm like, Hey pastor. And his head turned to me and I was like, Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank God. That makes more sense. I don't have a dad. Like if, if I call, if I need a pastor, I got a guy I can call on. He's dependable. He's nice. He's uh, he cares about me. He's a great pastor, Yeah. but there's just no dad that I'm calling. And I almost felt guilty in that moment of like, 
all this time, I thought I was so special. Like no one else gets to walk around here calling him dad and demanding things from him as if he were their dad. Like he's, he's on a mission from God. Like how dare I call him dad? And so in, in that moment, and again, you know, who knows that this happened, whatever that was 25 years ago or something like that. But in my memory, like it, that was the moment at which I was like, oh, this, like, it wasn't even depressing. It was just so relieving of like, life makes, life makes so much more sense. And from that point on, I pretty much only called my parents by their pastoral names. Um, and I called him pastor just constantly to everybody. Um, and I didn't really call him anything in the house. So a couple of times I called him pastor at our house and it was a little awkward. So I tried to avoid that in the future, but I just like, and that was like a, a thing for myself of like to just try to remind myself. So I didn't have that that uh, really irritating conflict of like not being able to reach my dad. Just like he's he's pastor. He's pastor. So it's just a way to remind myself of like that's that's the guy you live with. And um, and as far as I knew, as far as I appreciated him, he was he was a great pastor. But, and 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 my brother, I mean, he he lived in the same house and. Uh, He's uh, he's called them by their uh, whatever familial titles, um, and it's worked out for him. So uh, again, I'm I'm willing to be wrong about everything. Yeah, <laughs> maybe this is all me, uh, but that was that was my experience. Yeah, that that's that's interesting. That's a, a perspective I hadn't really thought about. Um, I I only have a few friends that have left the faith that were PKs. And they, they are unique in a lot of ways. And usually there's a lot of enmity in the family. Uh, mm-hmm. But I that particular thing I had not heard before or thought mm-hmm. about. And so it kind of strikes me in a way. I, I grew up with heathens. My family didn't think about God at all. So mm-hmm. I was the only devout person I knew in my family. So I was the standout. How did, What's that? Yeah, how did you get into that? Church camp. It really oh, okay. struck me hard. Um, yeah, it's meant to. Yeah. Uh, I recognize it all now, of course, as an adult and as someone who kind of knows how it all works and someone who's been at the front of the stage, too. It's yeah, uh, highly emotionally manipulative and mm-hmm. it uh, can impact you for a very long time. And it did me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it. I was semi-pentecostal semi-baptist or what i call yeah. baptocostal yes, um right. and i went to a very pentecostal church camp when i was very young so yeah. and you know speaking yeah. in tongues and yeah, yeah. You, have you seen jesus camp yep uh-huh. i very I like similar like, experience yeah yeah okay. i i conducted i was a church camp speaker for uh okay. several years yeah uh, so yeah i was i was in charge of that and and i think uh i mean uh i would I would hesitate to uh, associate myself with the term emotionally manipulative because I think the church, uh, at least that brand of church, the brand of church that I think you're talking about, the the uh, what is it called, Jesus Jesus Camp uh, Church, uh, like the the whole thing just sounds like yeah, that was that was the camp yeah. <laughs> that, that I conducted that I went to. Um, there's there's such a lack of um, validation of the emotional experience that um i think church man yeah i'm I'm just going to in general use christian to refer to that brand of christianity but that that christian 
faith doesn't have any room for emotions. Like the heart is deceitfully wicked and a hundred other verses. I'm not exaggerating at all. Like dozens and dozens of verses that all talk about how you're not supposed to trust your feelings. You just trust your spirit. So I don't think that um, there's a conscious... um, because they're so focused on like every emotion that comes in registers as the spirit that's all that there is so um emotion when you when you look at it from this perspective like that's definitely 100 percent emotionally manipulative like you're setting this thing up to be uh an emotional experience that is going to make them feel like they have experienced something um divine uh when really it's it's just a you know, I, I, I'm a worship leader, so it's 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 a it's a C two suspended chord, <laughs> you know, and, and a like I, I can I can list for you the the chord changes and the tempos yeah. that will uh, evoke the the Holy Spirit, uh, but yeah. that's because there's there's just no room for the emotion, and so when emotion and spirit get intertwined, and you disacknowledge the existence of emotions, except for as a deceitfully uh, wicked heart thing, every emotion that you feel that's positive is the spirit of God, so. Uh, at least when I was conducting camps and when I was a worship leader for goodness decades, um, it was, it was really about, about creating an environment and welcoming the spirit in and without said without any like ulterior motives at all, yeah. but, but also, you also know the recipe exact- for it. So, right. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. And, and that's just, that's just the anointing. <laughs> that's, right. That's not, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a word for all of it. Uh, and the, these people can have, pure motivations be uh honest about what they're doing and also like that the the sentence we're creating an environment that welcomes the holy spirit uh and his anointing is the exact same sentence as we're being emotionally manipulative so that people will feel like that they belong here in right. this place like that's the same exact thing yeah but um because they both feel divine like it's it feels yeah. divine to be a part of a community <laughs> so it doesn't matter if it's the Rotary Club or it's the uh, the church, like it's. Uh, but I just one one when when you look back on it uh, for all that they took from your life and all that they uh, put into your life that you've had to get over. Like once that experience spoils, that Christian experience spoils, then you look at it with different terminology of like emotionally manip- manipulative, which I again I fully agree that it is um but i also want to be careful not to um impugn motives that aren't there it's not like they're they're trying to do that they just don't know what they're doing well i I, like i said before i i was the guy at the front of the stage at times you know i was the guy Mm -hmm. doing the manipulating yeah never did i think that i was manipulating people but i always thought that that i was doing what i was supposed to be doing and doing a holy work in some way you know i really believe that and that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why i never was angry at like my pastors or the people who Mm -hmm. had influenced me so much was because i felt like they were just as deceived as me you know Mm -hmm. that they were victims too and the people before that were victims too and just you know it just goes back forever and ever um Mm -hmm. and i i played drums in the worship team and i did the uh the soundboard and stuff like that so i I understand looking back that we were just setting a mood, setting a tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and when I realized exactly what we were doing, I had gone to a Benny Hinn conference. So that should give you an idea of the kind of crazy. Yeah. I'm right there with you, man. I'm right there with you. Damn. <laughs> you and I might should do some co-hosting. I, I feel like you and I work out pretty well. Similar backgrounds. Uh, but I, I remember it was 
it was in Florida, so it was hot. And there was this fine mist of water in the air right before things started. Mm -hmm. And I just, it felt big. It felt like it was doing something Mm -hmm. in the room. Mm -hmm. And it was. It was Mm -hmm. putting the temperature at a place that was comfortable but not comfortable enough. And it was increasing the humidity. So over time, you get hotter and hotter. And I realized that when I was sitting there, I was like 15 or 16. I was like, man, something is mm-hmm. up with this because I could see the mist yeah. floating around. Right. It wasn't just dust. And I felt like somebody had done something. That there was some sort of technician somewhere pushing mm-hmm. a water mist onto mm-hmm. this crowd to get them amped mm-hmm. up or to do something. Yeah. And yes. it made the air feel thick. And I, in my mind at the time, it was thick with the Holy Spirit. But what it was. Right. Yes. Yeah, it was. Instead, it was just humidity. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, but again, I don't think those are necessarily different. Like, that's no. the same sentence. It's not that it was one instead of the other. Yeah. Uh, but sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, that that was it. I, I, that's when I realized that there's more than just manipulating going on. This is thought out for some mm-hmm. of these ministries. They're really, you know, Benny Hinn and all, I, I don't think that he is innocent, you know as much as okay. my pastors were. He seemed sure. to have know, known that he could manipulate people into giving an ass load of money to his ministry. And he yes. did a very good job at it. He did a great job. And only that. recently, he he has repented of that recently. I don't know really? if you know I that. Heard anything. Yeah, no. he said he would never preach that sort of thing again, that he repented of it. He knew that he had done some wrong things there. I don't know Is if... Is he still healing people? I don't know. I haven't followed him that closely. <laughs> He's old now. Check it out. But I, that sounds interesting. I read a bunch of his books and stuff, and you can see all mm-hmm. the the scars of Benny Hinn on my life. But I also yeah. rejected that stuff when I was like 17 or 18. I, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, this feels wrong. So I got Sorry. out of that. One of the things, my coming out of this was very gradual, so it really helped me that I had already left the church. I had already mm-hmm. stopped engaging with people that I thought were heretics. Yeah. So coming out of it was pretty easy. You know, I wasn't... Yeah. You know, I, I didn't have a church to answer to. I didn't have a church to shun me. They had already right. kind of decided that I must be going, you know, to the wayside. So yeah. that helped a lot. I'm I'm very fortunate there. But mm. my when I left the church, my goal was to find the right church. It just after yeah. three years, I never found it. Yeah, that's that's sad. Yep. I mean, they obviously have something. They they've they've got. Uh, They've got something about community. They've got something about like our species likes to gather in large groups and make our vocal cords vibrate at the same frequency. Yeah, there's something magical or divine about that. Yeah, uh, about taking a meal together. Like they've got it. It feels like they've got all the right traditions, and then just caked on top of it is all this other crap that just wrecks it. And like, no, th- this you guys aren't wrong. Right. <laughs> there's there's a lot of really great stuff in here that uh, I think. From what I've understood, the atheist community has a really hard time replicating. Again, yeah, like there are true. just as many dishonest a- atheists as there are dishonest yeah. Christians. I don't know if that's true or not. It like, is. It sounds. It sounds. Good. <laughs> I can. Uh, I can affirm. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's there's that a certain group of them that are like honest about like like the church. The church is providing something. Uh, they're also intentionally or accidentally exploiting it for something entirely different. Yeah. Um. But there's something there um, and trying to trying to recreate that. And I think part of deconstruction 
and I'm probably too early in this process to be able to tell like wh- exactly where I am in this, but there's a, a certain part of that where you like have to decide how much of this am I trying to recreate because it's comfortable um, and I wish that it was still there and how much of this am I trying to recreate because it's actually valuable. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that's a lot of the stuff that I'm still sorting through now. Um, but there's definitely, there's definitely great value in that. I, again, like I started out at the beginning saying like, we keep recreating God for a reason. Like we cre- keep recreating religions. There's, there's something in us that wants this thing to be real. Um, and it's, it's doing something for us. And I think it's uh, irresponsible to throw it out, out of, well, yeah. I, 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 the rest of that sentence is supposed to be throw it out, out of anger at a particular person or a particular institution. Um, that's my own personal journey. That may, might not be universally true. But um, yeah, my for my own journey, I just like I I acknowledge, I acknowledge I got something, but it's not at all what what I was told. Right, I might be. I think what that is, I'm just gonna take a stab at solving the whole problem. I think that what we're trying to do is to live in communion. We're trying to find a way to mm-hmm. do that, and I I mm-hmm. think that if humans were created for any purpose, or if there's any anything bigger than us driving us to do something it's that we are meant to be in communion with one another we are meant Mm -hmm. to have common goals we are meant to have common uh loves we are meant to have uh common enemies we are we are meant to take the resources available to us and share them and that's all Mm -hmm. communion is Mm -hmm. and i i believe that that's what we're trying to do but we keep fucking Mm -hmm. it up we, we try to yeah. we try to make it too divine, or we you know try to attach all these extra beliefs. Like you have to believe Jesus is God, or you have to believe in the triune God. You must believe X, Y, and Z, or yeah. you're out. Mm-hmm. And we're we're too busy creating out groups to actually enjoy the in group, uh, mm-hmm. and to actually live in communion with one another. But I, I think that's what we're supposed to be doing. I think if mm-hmm. if anything, it is that if we live in communion with one another. We can achieve peace. We can achieve. Uh, mm. We can eradicate hunger. We can get rid of the things that make us compete with one another, capitalism and the like. I I think that we we have this calling to that, and church is our our attempt to answer that call. But it just does a it's a poor substitute for the real thing. Mm. At least yeah. that's my guess. But I also see everything yeah. through the lens of a communist. So right. Well, I mean, I idealistically like that's uh it does seem like that is that is possible i think on on the i'm 100 percent with you on the minute level of like sharing one-on-one like this time that i get to share with you and i feel like you're being honest with me and i'm being honest with you and we're we're sharing something uh that might not even be true like maybe both of us are wrong about every true. single yeah. sentence we've said so far but I'm being honest with you. I'm giving you a piece of me, right. um, even if it's not you know true in the dictionary <laughs> sense. Um, and you're giving me a piece of you. Like there's something there's something that is uh, truly life giving about that. Um, I don't know how um, how much you can scale that um, and yeah. before someone takes over, Good which question, I think yeah. is probably what you were talking about in the you know the whatever 300 AD time period where it's like yeah. there's this messy church that's like floating around and no one's really in charge of it how about we get together well yeah <laughs> it 
don't let the Christians hear this part of it. But the, it seems to me that someone said, how about we get together a book and we make it infallible so that they're the official rules and that the book says that we're in charge of what the book means. Um, and you can't really get to God except through uh, us, through the book. Yeah. Um, like, like people just take over uh, that, that kind of thing, which um, is true, I think, in, in Christianity, in communism, in farmers markets i mean everywhere you get people together that are like trying to trying to all commune with each other once it gets to a certain uh size then someone's like oh i know what we could do with this how about you all follow me i've got a good idea and it happens to make me rich but that's not why i'm doing it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have to hear your farmers market story now there has to be something there <laughs> every every time every time we try to do this thing like the the, the group thing um some 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 leader emerges, yeah. and a certain part of the beauty always dies. Yeah, um, at a certain critical mass. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm a piano teacher. I'm, I'm still trying to about. figure all that out myself, but <laughs> I I am devoted to the ideology that I hold, but also mm -hmm. I'm well. I I welcome it to be better than anything I ever imagined or that ever has been in history, and that requires. Yeah us to be different than we are in some ways yes well so. i think the success of it depends on us being honest with ourselves that seems to be the part where like things really veer off course from uh you know my church to the nazis to every other uh group that was trying to do something good and ended up really just being horrifically harmful um was that somewhere along the lines someone felt like i don't i don't think this is right i don't really think i should be doing this but they went with it anyway because the group was doing it because again it feels divine to go with a group yes um and they gave into that and that's where i just like that phrase like if i'm really honest with myself i don't think i should be doing this guys um and being allowed to bow out um without massive repercussions from the community um i think that's that's the only thing keeping a larger group in check is people around the fringes going i this doesn't i i gotta i gotta get out sorry guys i can't i can't do this anymore well jimene i'm don't get to me i don't know what i'm talking <laughs> about get to god be honest with yourself i mean i, I write at uh, finding god despite religion.com and stuff and you can find me there's only one jamin caller on the planet at this point really so uh you, you can find me. it's j-a-m-i-n uh, i'm pretty sure that'll, that'll send you to me on all my different platforms i teach piano if you want to learn piano i could teach you that i know something about that i don't know anything about god so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't find me find god but i if you have idea if you found god uh, i i love uh talking with people so don't come to me to learn but do come to me to share uh whatever you've learned because um yeah i'm i'm uh being less certain these days and uh, more open to being honest with myself uh wherever that leads <laughs>